0: Welcome to First Thought, a podcast by Galway International Arts Festival. I'm Tiernan Henry, host of the festival's Vinyl Lars. Vinyl Lars is a series of conversations with artists and creatives, tracing a musical journey through the soundtrack of their lives. Tom Waits reckons that songs are really just interesting things to be doing with the air. And here on Vinyl Lars, we think talking about them isn't too shabby either, even if it is only bravado. You can listen to the full playlist on Galway International Arts Festival Spotify page. And if you like what you hear, please consider making a donation to Galway International Arts Festival, a non profit organisation bringing the arts to people in Ireland and around the world. Head to GIAF.ie and click donate. Today's guest is the recently appointed Artistic Director of the Abbey Theatre, Katrina McLaughlin. Originally from Carondonna at the top end of the Inishon Peninsula in Donegal. She's a huge amount of experience in theatre in Ireland, the UK and the US. She's been an associate director at the Abbey since 2017. And as the newly appointed artistic director, she leads lead on the objectives relating to art and the audience in the Abbey Theatre strategy. Over the last number of years, she's directed in London, Dublin and New York. And her recent productions at the Abbey include Cavanagh's The Great Hunger, City Song by Dylan Coburn Gray, and Marina Cars on Raftree's Hill, for which she won Best Director at the 2019 Irish Times Theatre Awards. She's directed work for Wexford Opera, Cork Everyman, Blue Eagle, Landmark Productions, Hot for Theatre, and The Local Group, as well as Rattlestick, Bard Summerscape, and The Atlantic Theatre in New York, and Trafalgar Studios, ATG, the Finborough and South, Southwark Playhouse in London. But for today, we're here to talk about some of the music that moves her without further ado enjoy vinyl hours with katrina mclaughlin so no pressure katrina after all that <laughs>
1: <laughs> no i'll try not to have any
0: <laughs> <laughs> listen this is uh, we're, we're so pleased that you agreed to do this it's it's great fun to, to have you on and I have to say it this is such a Catholic list, the songs you've <laughs> sent us. It's brilliant. <laughs> it covers so much time and so much space. And you know, I guess it offers some sort of insight into what you're listening and what you're hearing in music and in songs. Yeah. And remember, everyone, you can hear all the music on, on Katrina's playlist on Golden International Arts Festival Spotify page. So your first choice starts back up north. Yeah. That petrol emotion. Rose right. from the ashes of the Undertones. The O'Neill brothers hooked up with a bunch of their mates and an American bloke. <laughs> and, <laughs>
1: um,
0: and they formed that petrol emotion in, in the mid-80s, I guess it was. And your first choice is from uh their second album, which was babble was the album. So the band were described by Rolling Stone as the clash crossed with Credence, Clearwater Revival, which I don't really hear. Um <laughs> Uh, but, but And John O'Neill said uh, that the name essentially reflected where they came from. They said that, you know, the emotion reflects yeah. where they grew up and everything they grew up. So why this one and why that petrol emotion is your kickoff?
1: <laughs> I suppose, um, you know, when you're growing up and you're listening to music and music, I have to say, wasn't a big part of my teenage years. insofar so far as I listened to what everyone else was listening to, you know it was very much what you wanted to dance to when you were out. Yeah. But I didn't really follow a band or it didn't really strike me in a particular way until I started listening to things like, you know, I suppose the undertones maybe, and even the Waterboys was maybe the beginning of it. But that Petrol Emotion um, was introduced to me kind of, uh, I suppose, my first year in university by a really good friend, uh james cunningham and it was the first time that kind of the words and the music kind of did something else to me that made me kind of think about what music could do or how it could provoke or how it could i suppose you know i suppose the in terms of how they engage with the politics in such a positive way was very um provocative to me because i like the music as well you know that helps <laughs> yeah but one of the things one of the things i always struggled with like i would never have been a big one for um any kind of political song because i was i never really liked the music even if the idea in it was yeah. interesting i mean the obviously the undertones kind of are different and they, they i love the undertones but but there was something about that petrol emotion that was much more kind of rawer, or felt more more like what I felt like, if yeah. that makes any sense. Yeah.
0: yeah, I got this album when it came out and I remember one of the first things was that uh, you're right, I think there's an anger in it. But it's it starts off, the music is so hooky. It just catches you right away. And you, you, know, you go, wow, I've never heard it. Because it didn't sound anything like really what the undertones had done. And it didn't really sound an awful like what was going on as well. Like you were saying, like, you know, that kind of big musicy water boys and big country and all of that stuff. And this was just, it was urban. There was a yeah. real urban kind of thing to it. But you could also tell. this was Irish
1: you're Irish well
0: you know which was a really there was something so positive about that as well and then I think you'd start listening you go all right that's what they're singing about while you're kind of dancing and jumping around the room, I know exactly
1: that's exactly it and and you know I'm from just over the border from the part of Donegal it's above Derry so it felt like it was they were you know from down the road yeah um and they were so good i mean you know i didn't know i didn't know which one to pick but this one is the first one i remember being drawn to you know um and i think i don't know i suppose the words you know when they're not a million miles away from teenage kicks in terms of their (laughs) sentiments but you know then all the music is really good you know hey venus sanitize anything like it's it's they're they're a great band and you yeah. don't hear them as much anymore.
0: No, and I, I think what's interesting about them as well, particularly say about the O'Neills is that it, it's sometimes overlooked, I think, because everyone, you know, kind of focuses sort of so much on teenage kicks in particular, mm. but just the, what good musicians they were and what excellent melodies they wrote. You just think yeah. pretty much everything they wrote, you could hum it instantly and you wanted to and you wanted to sing it instantly. And it was everything was really tight. There was no wasted space no. And it didn't go on and on and on for hours with songs. The songs they started, they grabbed you right away, threw you around the room, and then they finished, and then they did it again with the next song. That's you know? right.
1: Yeah. That's right. And like I don't know, they were and they were like they were banned, weren't they? They had an album banned. Oh, yeah. I think there was a quote or something they used. I can't remember. Yeah.
0: Um. Was there was a, a an image or a quote from Jerry Adams or something? That's right. That's right. And it was still when they couldn't be they couldn't be quoted in the media
1: that's right they were their voice was removed and an actor had to read in yeah that's right and they were quoted on the album or something
0: yeah
1: and i think i think it was actually their publicist or their manager or somebody put it on the album and it was kind of one of those oh you're right kind of it was, it was a
0: mistake yeah it was one yeah. of those sort of it was left to someone and they didn't realize what they were or what maybe they did realize but you know yeah yeah,
1: yeah. but I, I i think that might be partly why i was drawn to them as well and this particular song you know big decision <laughs> the kind of idea of the decisions you make at that point in yeah. your life yeah. and the idea of these boys you know kind of coming back after the undertones and then through an accident of fortune, yeah. you know, not getting the kind of stardom that they exactly. kind yeah. of deserve, yeah. really, yeah. I think. Yeah. yeah. So there's all of that. There's all that kind of hard luck story. And then the yeah. music is so good. Oh, so it is good.
0: so good. You know, and yeah. be, I'm talking about the good music, your second choice, might as well move on to it. The, you're leaping forward <laughs> probably a 10 or 15, no, 10 or 12 years, I guess, to 1998. And, yeah. uh, Nicholas Godin and Jean Benoit Dunkel formed Air in Paris in 1995, and their debut album was released in 1998. Katrina's picked "All I Need" from Moon Safari, and Beth Hirsch wrote the lyric and she sang the song. And she was from the states, and apparently she w- she moved to Paris to record an EP, and her next door neighbor was Nicholas Godin, who heard her singing, no <laughs> and then invi- and then in par- invited her along. To said, "We're looking for a vocalist." so she ended up on the album you know no way so how did you come across aaron how did, wh- why this song
1: well it's funny because this kind of song this album came out at a time when i was uh, it's very for me con- connected with a period in time when i was moving into theater and i was filming i was working on a film in belfast and around hollywood and i was because I had trained as a scientist, I'd gone to college and trained as a scientist, and which I won't get into. <laughs> That's
0: fine. <laughs> I'm a scientist as well. So. Okay, well, good. I'm in
1: good company. <laughs> um, but um, so it was a massive, a big decision. <laughs> is how you say? Oh. To, <laughs> nicely done. <laughs> um, to move into theatre, and wow. um, I was working. You know, I I, I met some people. I was loved working with um, a guy called Michael Burns who who was a, a writer and a sound uh, technician, sound designer and he wrote a film and it was very much a kind of um, I don't know project, you know like everybody was working for nothing but he had committed to a feature mm-hmm. film, it was just one of those really magical times and this album came out at around the same time or a little bit earlier. Yeah. And I just have such strong memories of thinking, how could you go back to science listening to this fabulous music in a convertible, actually, driving around, well, being driven around, yeah. Hollywood um, and Belfast, thinking, yeah, I'm in. This I'm is, in and I'm uh, staying yeah. in. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but I suppose those are the kind of, you know, I suppose life it doesn't always work out as we plan it you know and oh. we end up where we end up and I think there's so many people I know who who work in the arts who fell into it yeah. because they got dragged in or because you know they, they knew someone who needed who you know they had a friend who had a friend who needed a help and someone goes oh I like this yeah. <laughs> you know yeah and was that your first kind of real introduction into you know, that, that sort of started you're probably on the way into theater as well or, or had you sort of any background in it at
1: all well what happened is i i had gone to the gaiety school and um i'd been working there or studying there kind of part-time over a couple of years uh, so i had a kind of committed to that much mm. i was desperate to work in theater and at that point become an actor and um so I had done bits and pieces in a few plays and I, I, I met this guy on, he was the sound uh, designer on another short film I did for BBC at the time, but he was, it was really storytelling, I suppose that we kind of, we kind of merged on mm-hmm. and he and music was very much part of that, you know, when it was, you know, music like Susie and the Banshees and, and this kind of, it was just all very new to me at the time and the whole experience was new you know i might and i was you know met this fabulous guy who <laughs> at the time,
0: that helps yeah
1: <laughs> it was between this and sexy boy to tell right. you the truth <laughs> which is another air song by the way just yes for anyone who's not clean but um you know, it was just a very, a time yeah. of when I felt very much alive, and I think that's the great thing that music does, isn't it? It, it can place you in a time and a place Yeah. that you never, it never stops doing it, no matter how far away from that moment you get, you know, yeah. you're still, you know, those opening chords of that song, I'm in that convertible, yeah. I'm on yeah. a part of a road in Hollywood, you know, it's, it's amazing, it's kind of a it's its unique um function isn't it
0: yeah because and funny because i was i'm reading um george saunders book about russian short stories and i kind of i read a review of it and it sounded really good and it's brilliant it's he's really really funny and but he talks about the whole premise is he teaches russian short stories in some university in the states right and he they're really really they are really short ones but he talks about how he how he teaches them and how he gets students to, to talk about them he doesn't say this is what it means he just says these are the clues and things i use to get them to start thinking about them mm-hmm. And i was reading it, i was thinking that's exactly like music because he kept saying i love i've read these stories hundreds and hundreds of times and every time i read them i get a little bit more or i never lose that connection and i always think "Well, not i you know i was thinking about it because obviously with music you can always go back to certain things and it evokes certain times and places yeah but i also think they do work like communications like short stories like short plays because every time you go you you're creating all this imagery in your own head
1: or it evokes
0: all this imagery in your head and that's that's entirely personal you know as well as oh yeah this is what this song is about and you're going yeah but it's also about all these other things <laughs> it's about driving around the convertible you know
1: exactly you know? exactly and i think for me i think uh and you know it's probably more obvious in a way moving through them but like music for me is very very connected to my work and the different kind of phases yeah yeah of my work, because, you know, and what I was trying to get music to do or what it was saying to me or how it was playing into something I was making or, you know, yeah feeding a character like this piece was at the time. It was very much feeding into the character I was playing.
0: Yeah.
1: uh, And, and, uh, yeah.
0: And your next choice then is, I suppose, It's, it's one of the holy voices, I guess, is one way of describing it's Ella Fitzgerald and it's a very young Ella Fitzgerald as well. You've gone for, so it's from 1945 and this is a a song she recorded with the Delta Rhythm Boys and it's, it's only a paper moon. Yeah. So it's only a paper moon from uh, Harold Arlen song. Um, so why this one?
1: Because it does that thing where it's kind of cheery but heartbreaking oh. it just me to me it just makes me so sad and maybe that's because it's connected to the first time I directed a play uh, professionally you know I had done a little bit of youth theater directing but my first play that I chose to direct was at the Finbra in London and it was um the butcher boy the play version of the butcher boy uh Frank Pig says hello.
0: Something light to start with.
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Straight in. Um, but um there's there's a gorgeous tone in that play, which I think is in this music, and I use this piece of music in the play because it's got the light and dark side by side. Yeah. Um just that idea the word the word the idea of a paper moon i mean i don't know but the that how light it is how momentary it is how brief Mm. it is how how hard it is to hold on to you know that play really really or the the film and then the, the novel actually Funny, this has just occurred to me. But the guy who introduced me to the undertones also bought me. I've just thought of this now. <laughs> uh, um, just b- bought me the novel. The book, of the yeah, yeah. Boy, yeah. and he's not the guy. Just to be clear, James, <laughs> <laughs> you're safe <laughs> enough. He's not the guy in the car. <laughs> but uh, he's a really good friend. Um, and uh, he that play That that book really, that story character really spoke to me. The kind of vulnerability of him, yeah. The loneliness of him, the isolation of him, and this is a lonely song.
0: Yeah, it is, isn't it? And it so because lonely. I think it's like when you listen to it first, you know, you're just literally carried along by it because the rhythm of it just takes you along, and you're humming along with it, and you're just thinking, God, she's got such a gorgeous voice. And then you listen to the lyrics, and you think, Oh, hang on this isn't a happy song and no. you're right and I think that notion of the paper moon you're it's only as you said it now that I think that it it matches perfectly Francie Brady's his connections to a reality or to an almost happy life were paper thin as well exactly it, you know it was just slight shifts pushed him one way or and a slight shift could have kept them the other side you know
1: yeah that's exactly it yeah. and you know like even the way that that play is written or the story written it's it's you know there's cartoons used a lot to tell yeah. the story um or he's in he's you know playing cowboys and indians or yeah um cowboys and native americans i suppose i should say really but but he um he's as you say he's on he's just holding on by a thread when he's in in reality
0: yeah
1: um and then when it flips it's exactly the same the other way around Mm -hmm. and the music is beautiful in that song i mean it's perfect isn't it the melody of that piece of music is if you just listen to it it's it's gorgeous which is why it's so effective when you combine it with the words
0: yeah and then her delivery of it as well her because her voice is so i mean it it is an astonishing voice and it's an effortless voice as well and it kind of feels almost like you know sort of being in a gentle river you know that you're just gently bobbing along with this gorgeous voice telling you this not really nice story
1: yeah (laughs) and then you go over the rapids yeah (laughs)
0: Yeah. but she's still singing away and it's all done in just over two minutes you
1: know yeah exactly it's an extraordinary piece of work isn't it
0: yeah yeah and i suppose i'd be i was curious about um because i think it may have been written for the 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 song may have been written for a film i i I would guess um but you know, you wonder then as, as a vocalist, what attracted, you know, Ella Fitzgerald to it, you know, and to take the approach that she took with the kind of backing and you know, this gorgeous backing, but it's, it you're just, it's, it's a song literally right on the edge, just holding it together, you know?
1: That's right. And she trips along it and there's so many versions of it. Yeah. Uh, but there's very, there's nothing as delicate as hers.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. And I think that's very hard to do, isn't it? She allows herself to sing the delicacy, the lightness, the kind of pleasure in it mm.
0: without
1: ever without ever letting it dip, which is why it works so well. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm trying to think, there's a male, there's a really good version.
0: Nat King Cole did as Nat- I know. Yeah, that's yeah. That's who I'm yeah. thinking yeah. of,
1: Nat King Cole. And it has a sadness in it too, but it's so robust. It's a full sound that it doesn't have the same impact as this yeah. version. Yeah. Do you know what I, th- I mean? I
0: do, because I think this is so stripped back in a way that I think you're go- it, it is, it reflects a paper moon. I mean, it's, it, it's, they've stripped it right down just to the bare essentials in terms of the music and the vocal, that it is just, yeah. It's just there, but you could also see, remove one element and this thing will collapse or this, you know, the, the fabric will be gone. And I think you're right with a big orchestra behind it, it yeah. would be, you're right, it'd be much more robust. And I don't think it would, I don't think you'd feel the, that tension in it. You know,
1: no, it would be more magical in a way, wouldn't it? You yeah. would just feel the magic of creating yeah. the, the theater of the story or the exactly. facade of yeah. it, yeah. um, and that would hold you up. Yeah. But with her gossamer thin.
0: Oh yeah! Listen, make sure people, whoever, if you're listening to this, go and listen to these songs. They're all on the the Spotify page, the Gold International Arts Festival Spotify page, and just let these songs take you away for a little while. Mm. And your your next choice is uh, another really interesting voice. This is a, one way of thinking about him. He's the king of deceptively edgy. It's Scott Walker. Yeah. who obviously of course wasn't a scott walker he was noel engel and he you know he he worked with his brothers (laughs) in england (laughs) uh his stage brothers and then he released four albums he released you know four albums under his own name in the late 60s and uh you've picked duchess from scott for the last of those four albums
1: do you like scott walker are you a fan or not he's, I, I, he's, I, he divides people a bit doesn't
0: he yeah um I, I come and go on him to be honest i um i love scott for this okay. album the album this is from and some of his more recent stuff is hard work um but that's okay as well i think yeah. you know I, I i think i come and go on him because of my age when i was in my early 20s i was introduced to scott walker at the right time you know right partially angry young man living in Dublin <laughs> <laughs> not, not quite sure what he was angry about you know? So Scott Walker was a perfect fit
1: you know? yeah I know, you you know
0: so what about yeah. you and Scott Walker
1: well this is nothing to do with work this was my wedding song or my first dance oh, cool. right. <laughs> so I was I was uh, introduced to um Scott Walker by my husband who who's a fan, big fan I love it, I have to say. I love this song. I love Scott Walker. I think the mood and the tone of his music and the tone of his voice, I think he's quite rare. There's a clarity. There's a really good combination for me between the music and the the words, and there's a great clarity. And maybe that's why sort of younger people maybe respond to it, because... Mm the message of it is clear or the mood of it or what it's doing or the tone or you know do you know what i mean
0: i do yeah i I found this great quote from from the guardian where they said this album scott four they said it's made up of unsettling short stories (laughs) all the more creepy for their delicate orchestral backdrop
1: (laughs) So, so perfect good. perfect
0: for the first dance. <laughs> so.
1: Yeah. Well, that's unfortunately a bit of insight into my husband. <laughs> it was uh the music was all um quite dark. Yeah. But um but this is but I'm so intrigued by her, this woman in this piece mm. of music. Like he really paints a picture of her, like she's a character, you know what I mean? Yeah. And and yeah okay there's you know question you know it is a little bit questionable how you know we in the contemporary world i know yeah. that we can't really talk about women in this way but i think it's so poetic yeah that I kind of forgive him
0: yeah and i think i, I kind of get a sense as well that th- the setting as well is slightly deceptive mm. because you know it is a lovely orchestral backdrop to it and you know you kind of think I suppose in the late 60s he was sort of in a space like with Engelbert Humperdinck and people like that who would have had the same type of orchestral setting but the songs would have not have been first off they wouldn't have been written by themselves and then and then I think as well they wouldn't have had this other edge to them and um he, he's really interesting I think the tone of his voice as well it, it there's a it's almost like he's slightly disinterested yeah but he also really wants to communicate. He really wants to make sure that you hear every single word that he's singing. I know. You know?
1: I know. It's interesting. Mm. And, I, and I remember the time when I kind of, um, was introduced to, to his music, you know, I was kind of listening to maybe a lot of crooners or, you know, yeah. the kind of Frank Sinatra world. Um, and I, remember, and I just remember thinking there was a kind of unsentimentality about it. Like, it wasn't, even though it was beautiful and poetic, it wasn't sentimental. Like, I remember when I discovered Tom Waits wrote, he was so young when he wrote that first album. And I remember feeling really cheated. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I was I thinking, he can't write this. No. He doesn't know any of no. this stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs>
1: and that was all but you know that was all i love tom waits as well like objectively i could listen to to him all day and often do but i remember thinking and i don't know anything about scott walker's life but i feel like he knows what he's writing about
0: yeah i'm the same i don't know an awful lot about him I, i agree with you tom waits because you kind of think yeah You do feel a little cheated when you find out you're only twenty four. Bloody hell! You did. What did you know about
1: (laughs) phoning up forty years later, me? Who? (laughs)
0: Exactly. You know. Yeah. and you kind of he just created obviously this, you know, this wonderful character, whatever. Whereas you're right, I think Walker had. It's almost as if some of that orchestral stuff had rubbed off on him. You know, that kind of the Sinatra world, without being part of it but because he moved sort of in that little bit of orchestral music, so you kind of get the sense of there's a tinge of the fifties or forties to him.
1: Yeah. And you kind of
0: think he doesn't really sound like he belongs in the sixties. And yet he does, you know, when you listen to this, it's right up to date and contemporary, but it's obviously informed by maybe he must have been listening to stuff other than just, you know, contemporary music and new music. and or maybe he just saw himself, I guess, as not being part of being part of a different type of scene as well, you know?
1: Yeah, maybe, maybe, but I don't think, I don't think he sounds dated now, do you?
0: No, I think that when you listen to that, it it, it just sounds completely fresh because there's an awful lot of sort of, you know, orchestral pieces, not orchestral, but sort of pop music from the sixties that just sounds i won't say it sounds dated but it just sounds off its time whereas you kind of listen to that and you think that could have been recorded last week or 50 years ago or 100 years ago yeah Yeah. you know yeah
1: he gets under my skin as well yeah and he takes me somewhere else like where he takes me into some place in my inside myself that reminds me of kind of it's almost like the opposite of what something like that petrol emotion do which take you into the world you're in yeah but because of the way he uses words it takes you into something much more personal or do you know
0: yeah and i think probably that's that's one of the the reasons i suppose we have these Like why we do this sort of vinyl hours thing is to find out people's reactions to to songs and to music and why, and I think sometimes it's really hard to explain it, other than you know it yourself and it's extremely personal. Yeah, Um, you're quite happy to talk about it, you know, but you just know. Yeah, you have this kind of like it's it's like a secret passage to somewhere else. That's right. And you just have to press play, and someone or something will take you there. You know.
1: Yeah, and I have to say, being asked to do this is really hard. And I, I absolutely, I, you know, because you <laughs> you would you, tomorrow in a different mood, you of would course. pick a whole load yeah. of different songs. Yeah. And I kind of realize as we go through these, these are all quite of a type, and a kind of they're all kind of yeah. gentle, kind of you could they'd be a good relaxation. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> an interesting yeah. one yeah, yeah. well yeah. maybe as long yeah. as you
1: weren't really listening to yeah. too much of the words yeah but um yeah it's funny that i hadn't kind of realized that until now and we're going through it yeah Um
0: yeah and i think i um I, I i i what i normally do at some point during these things is i apologize to people for forcing them to reduce their life down to six songs or seven songs whatever you know their choice is knowing full well you know, you'll finish this and you'll come up with some a list that's completely different, which is what it should be. You know, I don't think, I, I guess in a way, it's just a reflection of something. Mm. That, and maybe the first song where you'll have a notion of a song and that leads you to other things that for whatever reason, that they, they
1: spark in your mind, you know. That's right. And actually, in fairness, if I was to be honest, whatever list I put together, that's the one song would be in all of them.
0: Right fair play that's always good to know
1: yeah and that's funny actually to think that but that 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 song would be in all of them
0: yeah and i think we all probably have music that is just it's something nailed to your heart for whatever reason you know and you know it doesn't it can be happy it can be sad it can be all of those things i guess yeah but it's entirely personal and in that i mean that i suppose that goes back again to you know george saunders and his russian short stories you know you kind of think how do people keep reading these things and you go well we keep going back to the same songs
1: we do exactly (laughs) you know you know and we
0: keep mining them for lots and lots of different reasons and
1: and we keep refining remembering how much we love them don't we like when you refine something it's like the greatest joy (laughs) of course when you haven't heard (laughs) it in a while like when you haven't heard something in years it's yeah it's the greatest joy
0: yeah Yeah. and you fall right back into it you know you can sing every note in it you can you know all the pauses all the you know yeah (laughs) Yeah. Well,
1: i'm no singer so i I. (laughs) kind (laughs) of mind
0: you you can turn it up really loud you know, let you know just sing along quietly you know so listen we'd go on because you're, you're your next two uh your your last two choices are, are going to take us completely different locations i suppose the the songs you've picked so far have been really really cool and really interesting but <laughs> the but next you are not no 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 they're they they're they're,
1: <laughs> they're just
0: they're unexpected i guess you know um uh and yet i mean they work really really well so you're the first one that we go out with i suppose it's it's um, it's from the opera Riders to the Sea by, by Vaughan Williams. The song is They're All Gone Now. Um, and this is based on Riders to the Sea, on John Mellon Sings' play. Yeah. And um,
1: Vaughan Williams wrote it, yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, so w- it's a really interesting piece as well because uh, I guess it's it's one of these, you know, obviously Vaughan Williams pretty much based everything directly on, on, on Sings' work. So the the play was written in 1904 the opera was composed 20 something years later but it wasn't performed until the end of the 30s apparently and then it oh. became you know it became part of the repertoire of a lot of opera companies in in England That's um, right So uh <laughs> they're all gone now
1: they are so I picked this, I have fallen in love with this piece of music because of the choir of women's voices in the background. I think it is quite extraordinary. And I know a lot opera has that capacity to blow your mind in terms of what the human voice is capable of. But when I, I started directing opera, and I'm... Um, You know, I'm not, I have never been able to sing. I was terrified. Um, I was one of those kids told to mime in the school choir and I've never sung. So when I got to a position of being able to direct opera, it terrified me in a way I can't even tell you because I knew I wouldn't be able to, I knew I wouldn't be able to like hum the bit that I wanted to go back to or, you know, anything or talk to people about the music or the singing. And I feel like this taught me, this uh, opera taught me how to direct opera a little bit because I knew exactly what the music was doing. And I wouldn't, and I can't say that I would, you know, listen to loads of Vaughan Williams. I listened to a lot of the music. Or I think he wrote a lot of music around the sea, um, that kind of sound. So I did listen to a lot of that. But the folk music, you know, isn't yeah. really my taste and I struggle a little bit with that I mean, I know he was brilliant but it's just not my taste but this piece in particular the opera, bits of the opera but this this particular piece of music where I think you can hear you can hear the sea and the wind and what the women are doing they're coming in it's his response to Sings, Keening. It's English folk merging with, you know, Irish folk. There is just something extraordinarily expressive in the combination of the two polar opposites. I mean, okay, I know that Singh, I suppose, was Anglo-Irish, but what he was writing about and and what he gets into those pieces that he wrote around the Iron Islands is Mm -hmm. something so purely... Irish in terms of the, the, the culture and the sound and the, I think he achieved something really interesting I, I know I would have people who disagree with me there but he gave a voice to something that hadn't been expressed before that I find very accurate and I know Vaughan Williams and his folk music was doing something else from an English similar rather from an English perspective and somehow the two things in that piece of music for me achieved to do both simultaneously. And I just found it so moving. The first time I heard women in a room singing that that music. And I worked on this opera with a French uh, musical director, uh, conductor called Benjamin Laurent. And he was superb in terms of what he could do with the voices or, you know, conduct the voices into and separate out all those tones. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he allowed me to expand that singing into a full keen, a full Irish keen, which, you know, not a lot of um, composers would effectively let you stop the opera to have a big melodramatic keen. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but something of the whole experience taught me how to work with opera and how to work in a way that I had kind of intellectualized, but hadn't felt before. Yeah. And so that piece of music, I, I listen to it often, actually. Um, it's, it, it just, there's something about it.
0: You're right. I, I wasn't familiar with it, but what I think when I was listening to it over the last couple of days, I was thinking, they sing the sea Yeah, that's, you know, and, you know, obviously, yeah, it's, you know, it's riders to the sea, you know, so that's not a big leap. you know? yeah. <laughs> So, but on the other side of this, it's all of that emotion about all of the loss and, and not just, it's not just the loss of life that's in the play, but it obviously reflects the loss of life of coastal communities, you know, going back generations. And it's like this welling up of, this emotional response tied to the physical thing, which is the the sea. And, um, it's, it's extremely, extremely moving piece of music and, Mm. you know, driven by the vocals. Yeah. So, so when you were doing, when you were directing this, like what point did you feel comfortable to say, I want to break away to allow these, these same voices to do something else?
1: Does that make sense? Um, to- yeah, it does actually. And actually, that was a that took a while because I had to get them to trust me first. Yeah. And that had a lot to do with my relationship with this guy Benjamin, because he uh, and it was for Wexford um, Opera, and he was so creative as a as a musical director as a conductor and excited by the voices and the women we had singing. Yeah. Um, and he didn't really know the culture really at all and he completely embraced it so I suppose if I'm honest we were a good way in we were probably three four weeks into a six week rehearsal right. before I kind of broke the subject, <laughs> and it involved take you know taking him to the iron islands <laughs> first you know to kind of share yeah. the history and the story and the reason for it and you know, we went there yeah. on a day off and um he got it and so he backed me a hundred percent to give it a go. And then because he did, all the singers did, you know, because there's a very clear hierarchy in opera <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and and the, the 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 stage director, as they're called, is very far down, you right. know, down the list. Um but it was a really special piece for me to work on, and I'm from ver I'm from a coastal town pretty much or you know mm-hmm. i'm half a mile from the coast so up there it's not on the coast yeah. but here you know here it is yeah. and you can smell it in that music yeah you know? yeah and it's you know what we're capable of with just human voices
0: yeah it is a it's an astonishing piece, because again, I suppose, you know, when you think about Vaughan Williams, I suppose people will think about, you know, Lark Rising and yeah. that it's, you know, very English and, you know, of a, a kind of sunny countryside um, between the wars, you know, I don't know, but that's what that's kind right. of evokes, you know, that sort of, you know, tweedy, dusty and and yet here he's matched up with something that's like at the far end of europe you know literally the edge of europe um but the smell of the sea everywhere you know
1: and when you listen to the whole opera it's very clean you know it's too tidy or something Mm. it's too well done it's too you know what i mean Mm -hmm. it's too clean but then here somehow the control that he uses works yeah and I think it's a lot to do with, he used every word of the play, which is very, very unusual as well. Yeah. Um, and it's hard. I was like, Oh my God, in the beginning, you know, <laughs> I can't listen to this it's ruining the words. <laughs> yeah. And it's amazing too, how you can go from thinking that to completely now being unable to hear the words without hearing these voices.
0: Be, yeah. 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 Yeah, so I suppose, and it, you know, I suppose that's another one of the great things about music, isn't it? That it it offers us these other avenues to, yeah. to experience or to, um, you know, to experience say something that was written. I suppose a bit like when you're talking about um the Butcher Boy, mm-hmm. you know, that you start with a text in a book, but it comes alive as well. You know, a piece of music, a really simple piece of music, can can act like a both the springboard for the the story and the characters, but also can reflect perfectly exactly what's going on in the you know and can be a whole other way of communicating something as well
1: that's it that's exactly it you know when you're when you're directing opera the music is doing all the subtext for you yeah so and which is the bit that i love to direct if you know what i mean (laughs) i'll play with it's what the actors do so when when that was taken away from me It was terrifying initially, but then it kind of allowed me to, to maybe play with the aesthetic a bit more or kind of articulate that sound with action in a way that I wouldn't normally maybe. Um, so it, yeah, it was a, it's one of those things that just was massively influential in the moment when I did it and has kind of continued, um, with me since. Um, I, I worked with, a, uh, did a couple of weeks uh, training with a director uh, who I admire a lot, Katie Mitchell, British director. And um, part of what she did over the course of, of that training was show how you can impact a story by say through a piece of dialogue or in a moment, say, there's a moment that you want to draw attention to, and it's not an obvious moment in the text, but it's in your vision by changing the music either side of the moment. If you know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And it's something that has been really, um, really helpful (laughs) actually is probably (laughs) the best way to describe it. Um, but it's just a great way to think about sound. In, mm. in theater and and how sound can feed into the action of a play yeah um and i feel you know i feel like maybe before i directed *Riders to the sea in opera i was maybe fighting that a bit whereas now i kind of I kind of understand better yeah
0: you, you know sound adds this whole other dimension to uh, something on stage that, that you know maybe starts off as just it's a play so it's written words and there'll be noises or whatever associated with it but sound can you know it used correctly as opposed to just telling you what to feel you know you know there's oh there's a big there's sad song someone's going to die or whatever or the gun will get used or whatever but I think you're right I think the sound can become a character um that that occupies space on the stage as well and that can be as important you know as the dialogue or or the interactions of the actors on the stage as well.
1: Absolutely. Completely. Yeah. Completely. Yeah.
0: Well listen, if you're <laughs> if 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 that one was a bit of a swerve, <laughs> <laughs> what we're going to finish with is is something um completely different. Yeah. <laughs> it's something completely different altogether. So it's Seraphim Al-Karibi. I, I think is I'm hoping that pronunciation is correct and it's Psalm 50 from chanting in the language of Christ. That's it. These are prayerful chants in Aramaic. Yeah. It's a, an introduction. So <laughs> I guess You know as
1: much as I do about <laughs> them. That's, that's as much as I
0: can find. Out. Um <laughs> so go tell us about this.
1: So I just thought it would be interesting to um share what I'm listening to at the moment. And this is I'm walking around Dublin. If you see me with my head headphones (laughs) on, this is what I'd be listening to. Um, and it's because of the kind of pieces that I'm making at the moment. And I just thought it was interesting because the sound is what I'm responding to here. So Mm. so I'm working on a couple of plays at the moment um one of them is a new marina car play and it's exists in a strange world so i've been listening to different kinds of vocal sounds for that i'm also uh working on an enemy within which is the brian friel play yeah. um about uh saint columbus on iona so uh, i suppose gregorian chants or you know, choirs or those kind of sounds, uh, mm. I think, are going to be very important in some way in both those pieces of work, and I have no idea how or why yet. So I'm keep I keep listening to them, but I particularly like this piece, and I think, actually, yeah, it's I like it because of the sound. It's almost the opposite. Place I'm in from the first piece of music because I don't care what the words are. I don't care about Psalm fifty in any shape yeah. or form. Um, you know what I mean? I'm not. Yeah. I'm not sure. a, a religious person. But that sound and the idea of that kind of worship or that kind of you know, I'm I'm not religious at all. But the the idea of a community creating a sound like that to celebrate something they believe in Mm -hmm. and you know it just gets me i just find it so moving and this is where i can meet my mother actually in this space you know my (laughs) mom, mom would be very religious and she loves gregorian chants so i can meet her here (laughs) it's a safe space yeah yeah yeah
0: yeah and 'Cause I remember I I talked to David Brophy last year about um about this kind of thing. And I one of the pieces he picked was or a, a choral piece and um, from the fifteenth or sixteenth century. And it was he made a point that I just never thought about, but which obviously then you just quote, of course. And he said at the time, the only sounds people heard were chickens and themselves and farm animals. You know, wow. you know there was no traffic um the only noises you heard were just the noises literally everyday noises and he said can you imagine going into a church and then hearing voices singing Mm -hmm. and in a church like with the sound echoing and bouncing and you know being catholic as well with the incense of course you know to get you a little bit
1: (laughs) (laughs) exactly you know
0: (laughs) and you kind of think god yeah you know like this kind of music it still gives you a good slap on the head. But can you imagine what it was like for people, you know, who didn't have radio, who didn't have any sound other than, you know, and to go into a room or a space and then to be engulfed in these kinds of sounds. Cause it's interesting when you said about the, you know, the, the, the St. Columbus piece and you think, well, you know, these, are these monks living on these islands and the only sounds probably were themselves and seabirds on the sea, you know? But when they sang together, they created this other thing, which must have just been
1: extraordinary. Yeah, never, ever thought of it like that. But you're absolutely right. It must have just lifted them into a whole other place.
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: because you reverberate, don't you? When you're in a room where people are singing like that, you can feel it in your bones, you feel how it sits in it kind of reverberates in your oh, bones completely. It, it?
0: It, it becomes com- like four dimensional you know yeah. it's it's all it's all, all around you and in time as well you know so yeah
1: yeah and actually you know so thinking about it the last two are similar in some way yeah yeah
0: so i mean you know <laughs> well, this the, the, the swerve was interesting <laughs>
1: yeah i swerve up but nonetheless, exactly
0: you know but when you sent us this list i thought it was so interesting such an interesting list but you can see the connections the whole way through that it's all about these responses i think this is again what's so interesting when when we talk when we do these kind of things you know without intellectualizing it at all we just think it's the responses that music has that that triggers in people and you know and for whatever reason, and whatever the connection is, whether it, you know, brings you back to, you know, childhood or youth or a youthful experience, or, or it helps you adjust to a space that you're working on, you know, in something in your head, you yeah. know? Yeah. So I could throw back a quote just to wrap it up. I suppose one way of thinking about this is if we were to, to sell this, we could say, who were we and who are we now? <laughs> Which, is your, you. which I think is a really <laughs> interesting, you know, I, I think it's a fascinating take, such a simple phrase you, you you use. And yet it also says so much about, you know, this kind of thing when we start thinking a little bit about music or when we start talking about music and we start listening to music like this, because it gives us a sense of, you know, the younger versions of ourselves or the various younger versions and kind of the version of ourselves that that is now yeah so listen katrina we'll wrap it up there um that was fascinating <laughs> that was so much fun i really really enjoyed talking to you about this stuff and listening to the music thanks
1: and um, i had a great
0: time actually oh listen brilliant and you know at some point we'll, we'll sit down we'll get we'll have a pint
1: Break.
0: <laughs> can, and you can give me the amended lists you know, so <laughs> all the missing the, bits the, the next 800 songs you know, so <laughs> that would
1: be lovely
0: Thank you for listening to Final Lars with Katrina McLaughlin on the First Thought Podcast. Galway International Arts Festival would like to acknowledge the support of its principal funding agencies, the Arts Council and Falsha Ireland, Galway 2020, European Capital Culture, Education Partner, NUI Galway, Festival Energy Partner, Flow Gas, and Drinks Partner, Heineken. For more from Galway International Arts Festival, see GIAF.ie. I'm Tiernan Henry. See you next time.